you alone. Yeah. And so God takes his people who were as though they were dead to him because they sought after other gods. And so God put them in exile. And so as they were kind of a dead army, God chose to raise those dead ones and make them alive. Isn't that what happens in the kingdom of God? It says in Scripture that we are blind, dead, and enemies of God by nature. And what God does is he takes and raises up the dead. Like he will do one day on that resurrection day. And we will stand before God. And all those loved ones that you might think of, my mom, others of you, can think of those people you know and love that have passed away. And we will together stand before our Savior. And he will reign us to live and to reign with him forever one day. But what he does spiritually for us is he raises us from the dead, even now, spiritually blind, dead, and enemies of God, he makes us alive. Now, it says we do not know. He, he, grows, he grows us, but we know not how. And we think, wait a second, I know how God does this, right? You've all been in the Word, you know how this happens. God does it through the proclamation of the word. Luke 24, on the mass walk, they're like, now go and proclaim this good news. And so they went. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've told you. So how do we grow? How does it grow? Well, proclamation, right? Share the good news, teach them, baptize them. That's how it happens. But the parable of the sower is interesting. Jesus, when he's doing his work, the parable of the sower, when that parable is told, did everybody listen to Jesus? Did Jesus have a 100% return rate? I'll proclaim the gospel, you all get it. Everybody follow Jesus. Is that what happened? I know I haven't been here for a while, but you can talk to me. I can't talk to Roberta Pastor. You can talk to me and help me. Okay? So, when Jesus spoke, did they all follow? No. no. You are correct. Okay? The parable of the sower says, first one, the Satan just steals it away. And then, the, the soil is shallow, so it can't really grow very well, so when the sun comes out, it dies. Third one is that there are all these things that this world has to offer, so we get all distracted and we don't produce fruit. But, there are some that hear and they grow, and things continue to happen, and growth do help. Now, when you look at people, can you tell which ones are the soil that's shallow, and which ones have the, have the like weeds around it, and which ones just won't listen? Can you do that? Me either. I think sometimes we think we can. We're like, ah, they'll never believe I ain't showing them. If you really look at that parable of the sower, the sower's just like, I grew up on a farm. You don't just throw seed everywhere. You don't throw it in the driveway. You don't throw it in rocks. You don't throw it in all these other places. You throw it in the field, right? Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This guy, he just throwing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what? You're supposed to be too. Because we just don't know when God will take that seed and make it work in that heart. Mm-hmm. That's why you don't give up on people. That's why you keep sharing. That's why you share with everybody. Because you just don't know. So, if that's the case, 
We don't really then know for sure how God's doing it. We just know that he chooses to use us in the ways he's prescribed, but he'll grow his church so we don't feel this immense pressure. Our job isn't to convert everybody. Our job isn't to do all to make people followers of Jesus. Our job is not to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very capable, and he does his own work. Right? We don't have to be that. You know what we are called to do? No, Pastor. Okay. <laughs> 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 We're called to do it, actually. And in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 10, says this, after this, the Lord anointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Just a just really quick question for you. Um, how many of you this morning prayed that God would send laborers out into the harvest field so that God could grow his kingdom? Just a show of hands. So, is there any room for improvement in our congregation? Yes. How many yesterday asked the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest field? How many did it on Friday? How many did it this last week? Any of you feeling any kind of twinge of like conviction? Maybe we should do this? God said we should do this. Right? Now, if I pray, I got a little story for you on this. This is a book that Good Lord Willie and the elders say, yes, you'll all have a copy of this. It's called Why Pray, put up by John DeVries from Mission India. Let me just read the first little day for you. 40 days. First day. <clears throat> he was a very serious man, and the question he asked me was well-intentioned. Does it pay to pray? Being a businessman, he knew he could not keep his business running smoothly unless he continually asked, does it pay? Many of his friends were out of business because they had failed to ask that question. So it was natural for him to pose this question to me after what had been happening in our church. For six months, I had been challenging the church as its pastor to join me every morning at 7 o'clock, seven days a week, for prayer. To my surprise, 56 people had shown up the first morning. And soon afterward, the number had settled down to 30 or 40 regulars. We experienced thrilling times as we saw 27 answers to our prayers and carefully tracked them for the rest of the church to see. One week, we tallied 49 distinct answers to prayer. But then something happened. It seemed as if God had turned off the power supply. We prayed and prayed, but no answers came. It soon got so bad that we hardly dared to pray for anything. It seemed as if we got the opposite of what we requested. If a couple was having marital trouble and we prayed for them, it seemed they were certain to get a divorce. If someone was seriously ill and we prayed, it seemed inevitable that he or she got worse or even died. Several members of this prayer group suffered terribly with sickness and family problems. It was in this context that my friend asked, John, does it pay to meet at church every day to pray? I was stunned because I had been growing disillusioned with prayer and confused with God. Before we started our prayer program, I thought, had thought that if we prayed as the Christians in Korea had done, surely God would do for us what I thought he had done for them. Our church would expand. We would see miracles. Amazing things would happen. Never did I expect that when we prayed, the very opposite of what we asked for would happen. I thought for a moment about my friend's question and replied, I guess it doesn't matter. If it doesn't matter, why do you do it? He asked. Because there must be some other reason for praying than that it pays, I answered. 
Since then, God has shown me that my answer was from him. If I were to respond to my friend today, I would ask him, does it pay to talk to your wife? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you because I don't know what answer you're going to give. <laughs> Think about it. He didn't answer him, of course. Think of how troubled our marriage would be if we didn't talk. And let me press a little further. Do you talk to your spouse because it pays or because you love? You see, if you talk to someone only because it pays, you're doing it for a very selfish reason. When we view prayer in terms of the number of answers we get, and when we track our answers in prayer journals just to be sure our time is well spent, are we not wrecking our relationship with God? Do you evaluate every conversation with your spouse or with a dear friend in terms of what you get out of it? Is that convicting to anybody else? Do you ever just pray and get stuck? Rather than praying just because God says, talk to me, call upon me, bring to me everything, be dependent on me, and trust that when things don't go the right way, that I'm using even that for your good to make you more like Jesus. And I put you to sweet candy service. <laughs> really well 
but your brain can't get your body to function like it wants to. Your brain keeps sending messages, do this, do this, do this, and the body just doesn't do it. Can't do it. How many of you, if I look at you and, and engage you in conversation, how many of you would say, I can't do what I used to be able to do? <laughs> Every hand shoots up, right? Except for those of you, okay? And those of you back there. Everybody else is like, yeah, oh, can't do what I used to. Okay? You know, it makes me cry when I think about it. <laughs> this man, as he lost ability after ability after ability, eventually he lost the ability to breathe and swallow three times. This man, as he was going through all of that, you know what meaningful, really powerful thing he did all through his life until he passed? Right. Whatever you tell me, I just can't do. I'm like, oh, uh, God Almighty hears it when you pray. Oh, pastor, I'm not pastor. I don't care if you're not pastor. God hears you. Remember, why does God hear you? Because you belong to him. Your prayers, Jesus is busy. It says in Romans 8 that Jesus is busy interceding for you. Jesus is busy interceding for you. He's always making your prayers that aren't quite right perfect as they go to God the Father for his answer. Why does he say yes sometimes and no other times? I know not why. I know not how. God's at work. Growing his kingdom. Doing awesome things that we'll enjoy with him forever. But I still don't always know why. As you think about your life, I want you to really think about your life with prayer. And then witness. Just declare to other people the good things that God has done for you. Remember what it says, 1 Peter chapter 2? This is a beautiful passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's who you are. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When my brain is working, which isn't all the time, when my brain is working, when my mind is working, I should say, in the middle of the difficult times, I begin to pray. Do you do that? Because praising God sets me free from trying to entertain myself or eat myself to happiness. Have you ever tried to eat yourself to happiness? <laughs> myself to feeling ill when I can't eat myself to happiness. Have you discovered the same thing? <laughs> I can't entertain myself to happiness when I can walk with Jesus. And when I'm witnessing, when I'm praising, when I'm sharing what I know and when I'm praying, I'm a useful instrument God uses to grow His kingdom. His time his way. But I'd like to read you one last story. While we may not be willing or able to enter some areas of our city physically, we can enter them spiritually as we pray for the families living there. Prayer knows no boundaries. Through we can lift up homes in any area. Boundaries between communities in India are very high. The following story shows how families in one community transcended these boundaries through prayer. Rural India is divided by caste. The caste system groups all members of Indian society into varying levels of privilege. There are four major castes, and if you're not born in one of them, 
because the Hindu gods are punishing you, you are born casteless or as an outcast. Even though the caste system is outlawed, it still exists and is very strong. High caste Brahmins do not enter outcast homes or associate with tribal people, who also are outcasts in any social way. We do not eat together or even drink from the same well. In one tribal outcast village, many families became Christians, and they became concerned for the salvation of the high caste Brahmin living on the other side of the river. They knew that the Brahmins would not talk to them, and so the family began to pray. Stephen was a wealthy Brahmin living on the other side of the river. His wife had been ill for 20 years, and they had traveled far and wide to witch doctors and medical doctors seeking help for her. In spite of all their efforts and the money they spent, Stephen's wife remained seriously ill. One night, while Stephen and his wife were sitting on their veranda, they noticed a gathering of people in one of the huts of the tribal untouchables who lived across the river. Soon, singing came out of the thatched roof building. This went on for several hours and continued several nights in a row. One evening, Stephen's wife told him she had heard that there were many miracles happening in the village as a result of these gatherings. She suggested that he go and stand by the river, facing the hut of the untouchables, to pray to this new god for healing. At first, he objected, reminding her that no self-respecting Brahmin would pray to the god of the untouchables. But she prevailed as he went, asking this unknown god to reveal himself by healing his wife. If that would happen, she said, they would serve him forever. He returned to his home, and to his amazement, he found his wife totally healed. In great excitement, they rushed over the bridge and did what no self-respecting Brahmin would ever do. They entered the home of the untouchables and demanded to know who this God was to whom they had prayed. The untouchables told them about Jesus. They explained the way of salvation. And at that moment, Jesus and his wife became followers of the Lord as the Spirit gave them new life. But there's much more to the story. The untouchables also told them they had been targeting the Brahmin community with their prayers, pleading with God to raise up workers to go into the Brahmin village because no one would ever listen to an untouchable, especially one who was telling them about a new religion. You, they said, are an answer to those prayers. God is telling you that you must go to proclaim the good news to your own community. Stephen enrolled in Mission India's church planter program, and he went to share. 200 Brahmins came to faith with his message. God grows his church. 